Welcome to episode 39 of Justice with John Carpe, the podcast from the Justice Center for Constitutional Freedoms. I'm the show's producer, Kevin Steele, and I'm here with our host, John Carpe, who is the president and founder of the Center. This show, we're going to look at the hatred being whipped up by the vaccinated against the unvaccinated, but we'll explore the possibility that, despite this hatred, The world is actually not dividing into the two camps, vaccinated versus unvaccinated, but rather naturally is dividing into two other camps, regardless of vaccine status. That is, those who support tyranny versus those who support human agency. So it might be changing from a medical issue into a cultural issue. But before we get into all that, to start, John, I believe you would like to say a few words about one of our fallen colleagues, Brandon Langhelm. If you please, John. Brandon Langhelm was a colleague who passed away October 25th. He was one of our Justice Centre staff lawyers. He had just celebrated his 40th birthday earlier in February of 2021. And um, Brandon displayed remarkable courage in the face of tremendous hardship throughout his life. He had severe physical handicaps. He had a connective tissue disorder, uh, Lois Diet syndrome. He had numerous surgeries from childhood onwards throughout his life, um, f- faced uh, bullying and, and uh, discrimination at, at various times in his uh, childhood and at school. He had a very strong sense of uh, conviction, a very strong character, and uh, would not back down unless you persuaded him that he was wrong. <laughs> not not somebody that uh, would just uh, seek popularity. Uh, when he was in grade 12, he was a finalist in a uh, province-wide speech contest uh, for the province of British Columbia. He talked about what had happened at the APEC summit. Um, this was a uh, an international gathering that took place in Vancouver uh, some 20 years ago. Uh, some listeners might remember it, but we had uh, a lot of leaders from uh, the Asia-Pacific region were coming into Canada. And so there was peaceful protesting against some of these dictators, uh, including the communist Chinese and including the, the dictator running Indonesia at that time. And these peaceful protesters were subjected to being pepper sprayed and um, by the police. And there was some involvement by the prime minister's office. And the sole purpose was to spare these foreign ruthless dictators from the embarrassment of landing in Canada and having some peaceful protests uh, against how they were running their countries. Yeah, and so, Chen made a joke, actually. Uh, pepper, I put that on my food. I think that's what it yeah, was. Pepper, I put it on my plate. Yeah, as yeah. if it's really funny to, to pepper spray peaceful protesters. So he, um, he had an interest in, in law and politics and philosophy and the free society going back a very long ways. He earned a history degree from the University of the Fraser Valley, a law degree from the University of British Columbia, and... The Justice Center got in touch with Brandon back in 2018 when we were involved in the Yaniv case. Uh, and even prior to that, uh, we were involved in a, 
free speech case involving uh, Bill Watcott that was with the Human Rights Tribunal. And we intervened in there to uh, to argue for the Charter of Freedom of Expression. In 2018, we represented several ladies who were the subject of human rights complaints by the serial complainant, Jonathan Jessica Yaniv, who uh, insisted that uh, male genitalia be... Uh, Yaniv wanted waxing services. He wanted the Brazilian bikini wax, and uh, the the ladies against whom he filed these these human rights complaints were uh, most of them were mothers working from home, and they only wanted biologically female clients. And he was bullying, threatening, and intimidating them with these human rights proceedings. Uh, a lot of these women, as well, were were immigrants, and were, uh, some of them did not have a fantastic grasp of English. They were not familiar with the Canadian legal system. And I guess whether you're an immigrant or not, when you are on the receiving end of a human rights complaint, it's pretty stressful and and distressing. So the Justice Centre represented these respondents uh, to defend them against Yaniv's human rights complaints. And we were successful. And Brandon was of immense assistance in those files and was hired on as as a staff lawyer and in 2020 got his first case which was the um against the city of new westminster which had uh pulled the rug out from under an ethnic church church with lots of uh africans and and i guess people from all over the world had put on a um conference uh, called uh, lgbt which they said was let god be true and the conference was uh, a christian conference it included teaching on human sexuality. And the city of New Westminster had signed a contract agreeing to rent its facilities to to this church for the conference. And then the city didn't like one of the speakers that had been invited and proceeded to cancel the contract. So we took the uh, city of New Westminster to court and um, and we won. We got a Judgment actually uh, just this past summer, July the nineteenth, yeah. when uh, Brandon was was alive and well and and uh, in good health, so he was able to enjoy the satisfaction of seeing his first court victory. I'll read a very short passage from uh, Justice Maria Morilato, uh, who agreed with Brandon's submissions that the city had violated freedom of expression, and uh, Justice. Morilato rejected the city's argument that expression at the church's conference would be low value, and she wrote, quote, In a free and democratic society, the exchange and expression of diverse and often controversial or unpopular ideas may cause discomfort. It is, in a sense, the price we pay for our freedom. Once governments begin to argue that the expression of some ideas are less valuable than others, we find ourselves on dangerous ground. End of quote. So winning one's first court case is uh, is a not- notable accomplishment. And so we all shared with Brandon in his uh, happiness about that. And uh, he was continuing to make court appearances up to September 2021, uh, but kept on having various health problems, was frequently going back to the hospital. I mean, he went to hospital frequently throughout his life, but this was particularly bad in uh, in August and September. But then in September, 
2021, so two months ago, a CT scan was administered, and Brandon was diagnosed with stage four cancer, and he never left the hospital, and he died on October the 25th. Now, there's a lot more. Uh, it, it's on our website. If you uh, if you go to the homepage, and you'll see November the 8th, 2021, Brandon Langhelm tribute, and you can read the article there. It's worth reading. And so I attended the memorial service by by Zoom. And um, one of our lawyers, Marty Moore, who had worked a lot with Brandon, actually made it out to BC and spoke at the memorial service. And our litigation director, Jay Cameron, spoke as well via Zoom. And um, so it was a very beautiful service. I hope that that is posted online somewhere as well. I don't know if it is or not. And so we uh, we mourn the passing of, uh, of a colleague and the Justice Centre is uh, diminished by his absence. We're also uh, very grateful for his time with us and we're inspired by his dedication to the free society and to speaking up for justice and fighting for justice. And Amen to that. Great. All right. Okay, we're going to move on to topics of the day of lesser importance, but down here on Earth, it is what we do. We want to talk about, let's start with hatred against the unvaccinated. This seems to be uh, in the news, but a little bit more. There was a, an article that talked about Gene Simmons having some nasty words about uh, the unvaccinated. Why don't you go into that, John? Give us your impression of that particular story. So Gene Simmons was with the uh, the rock and roll band uh, KISS, K-I-S-S, which was quite popular as well as controversial in the 1980s. So he reacted to fans who were upset about not being able to join the band on their recent uh, KISS cruise vacation. So I gather the band had uh, organized a cruise with the band members and anybody that wanted to, I guess, uh, get a ticket and join the cruise. So Gene Simmons says, quote, I don't care about your political beliefs. You are not allowed to infect anybody just because you think you've got rights that are delusional, of course. You don't have the right to go through a red light. Actually, the government has a right to tell you to stop. You have to put on a seatbelt. If they tell you you can't smoke in a building, you can't smoke in a building. And that's not because they want to take away your rights. It's because the rest of us hate it. We don't want to smell your smoke. I don't want to catch your disease. I don't want to risk my life just because you want to go through a red light. So that's a curious mixture of valid points and, uh, and invalid points. Um, he assumes, as do uh, too many people these days, that uh, getting vaccinated stops the spread of COVID. Well, obviously it doesn't because you have heavily vaccinated societies like Israel, with uh, something like more than 80% of the people uh, having received now three shots. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. If you, if you think fully vaccinated, if you think fully vaccinated means getting two shots, no, you're wrong. Uh, in Israel, the people were warned that if they did not get their third shot, that their vaccine passport would not, would no longer be valid and they would be second class citizens, not allowed to go to restaurants and Lord knows what else the details are, but you're definitely a second-class citizen if you don't have a valid vaccine passport. So huge numbers of Israelis got their third shot, and the uh, coronavirus czar 
said that uh, we we got to get ready for a fourth shot as well. Now, oh, here- I just want to put in there that we've mentioned Israel quite a bit, but there was a story in the news recently about a cruise ship where there was like a hundred percent vaccination and an outbreak there. Wouldn't surprise so, me. Get yeah. the details on that for uh, for next show, and we can we can sure, reference I'll that. Sure, I'll put a link down below. But too. you know that's that's exactly that's exactly what we see on university campuses. Uh, there are university campuses in the U.S. where they've had ninety five percent, ninety eight percent vaccination rates, and oh gee, outbreak of uh, of COVID cases on campus. Of course, we have to be skeptical about COVID cases because if it's based on the PCR test. Uh, we also have to be skeptical about the definition of vaccinated because they're going to change that right away. So it does change. You're not yeah. you're not fully vaccinated until two weeks after your second shot, which means that all the people in hospital from vaccine injuries are counted as unvaccinated. So when you hear the the booga booga about the high numbers of un- unvaccinated in hospital, bear in mind that includes people that have been injured by vaccines. Uh, that are counted as unvaccinated because they're not yet past their two weeks after the second well, shot. Well, I, I see the way that, that people are getting around this. When they report it, they say they're double vaccinated. They don't say they're fully vaccinated, which is, you know, fair enough. They, you okay. have a 100% double vaccinated on this cruise, and then you have an outbreak. Then you don't have to say fully vaccinated. So there's So where, where the rock star Gene Simmons gets it wrong is that it, it's just not fair or reasonable or accurate to compare somebody's exercise of their right over bodily autonomy, somebody exercising their choice to not get injected with an experimental vaccine. And I say experimental quite deliberately because most vaccines are developed over the course of years, whereas this new uh, mRNA COVID vaccine was was rushed through in a matter of months. And the fact is there is no long-term safety testing. Therefore, it's a legitimate choice for any individual to say, well, if you're under 70 and you're in good health, uh, you know, your, your risk of dying in a motor vehicle accident is, is higher than your risk of dying of COVID. And uh, COVID is not a significant threat to, to people under 70 who are healthy, which would be the vast majority of the population, just not a threat. So if you're not threatened by COVID and the vaccine has not been subjected to long-term testing and preliminary reports uh, from the vaccine adverse effects reporting system indicate that we're now at 16, 17,000 deaths related to the COVID vaccine, which is a larger number than all deaths from all vaccines put together in the last 31 years. So this is not your... uh, run-of-the-mill everyday vaccine like the others when you've got 16, 17,000 deaths, again, a greater number than uh, all deaths from all vaccines in the prior 31 years combined. Mm-hmm. So it's a reasonable choice and it's a matter of bodily autonomy. And of course, this ties in with the mandatory vaccinations. You could make a strong argument for mandatory vaccination, uh, vaccination if these vaccines, in fact, reduce the spread. But as we see from Israel and so many other places all over the world, you've got you know, 60, 70, 80% or some university campus, 95% vaccination rates or a cruise ship with 100% vaccination rates and COVID is out and about. So that's why Gene Simmons is wrong when he compares that to uh, disobeying um, a red traffic light. It's just not the same thing at all. So you're just saying it's an apples and oranges kind of argument. Is that it? You know, it's it, 
I think I think he's valid in saying that we should obey the the, the traffic lights. I mean, that's pretty to me anyway. That just seems very straightforward. You, you've got red lights and green lights to have you know mm-hmm. safe continuation of traffic in in different directions. If you run through a red light, then uh, you can uh, uh, you can kill someone. Um, my, my father was was. Uh, was killed. He was driving a motorcycle and somebody went through a red light and hit him. So, you know, I know about not going through red lights. It's, uh, it's personal for me. But to say that, that not getting injected with an experimental substance in respect of a virus that is not a threat to you, to make that choice is akin to driving through a red light is just, it's stupid. Mm-hmm. I'm going to continue well, with the Simmons quote. Uh, okay. The whole idea, this delusional evil idea that you get to do whatever you want and the rest of the world be damned is really terrible. Okay, in and of itself, I would agree with that quote that, yeah, it is it is a delusional evil idea that you just get to do whatever you want. Uh, not something I've ever advocated for. And I don't know too many people that do advocate for, for some kind of, you know, unlimited, no boundaries freedom to do whatever you want, whenever you want, wherever you want. I'm not I aware think that of that was kind of the rock and roll ethos of Kiss, though. But uh, maybe it's something he promoted himself in the past. <laughs> but, now, uh, here's where it gets even more creepy. He says, quote, we've got to identify those people and bring them out into the open so you know who they are. You know, if somebody says, uh, if somebody says to you, you better watch out because I know where you live. Mm-hmm. That you could be convicted of the criminal code offense of uttering threats. When you say to somebody, yeah, watch out because I know where you live. That's, I'm not a criminal law uh, expert, but that to me sounds like uttering threats. But it's just very creepy that uh, somebody would say, you've got to identify those people, like our prime minister said, you know, those people. Mm -hmm. Uh, We've got to identify those people and bring them out into the open. Ah, so we know who they are. So, you know, no, no privacy allowed. wonder how Gene Simmons would feel if somebody said, you know, we have to identify those KISS fans uh, and bring them out into the open so we know who they are. It's like, are, you're not allowed to be a private, uh, pri- a, pr- a private KISS fan. You have to be, uh, you know, publicly named. Well, I was alive when they were popular. So I, let me tell you, it was pretty obvious who the KISS fans were because they tended to uh, <laughs> imitate them a fair bit. And, uh, you know, their whole shtick was uh, the look at any rate. But uh, but that's a voluntary outing. It's different, right? If you want to put a, if you want to put a unvaccinated on your uh, lapel pin or, or, or something, right? So, I mean, even it's, it's a fair point you make, but even the KISS fans, it would have been a voluntary public outing to say, hey, you know, I'm a fan, right? It's not a forced outing by somebody else. With Gene Simmons, he says, we've got to identify those people and bring them out into the open so you know who they are. He goes on to say, know who your friends are by how much they care about you. Okay, fair point. That includes COVID. If you're willing to walk among us unvaccinated, you are an enemy. So then more uh, more disinformation or misinformation. Uh, For those who don't believe this is real, over 5 million people have died from COVID. I know there are flat earth society people who believe that and people who believe in all sorts of things. They died because they were fat or died because they smoked. No BS. They died because they got COVID. Okay. Over 5 million human beings have died from COVID. Uh, No, not really. 
this has been debunked by, uh, by, by medical statistics in jurisdictions around the world. You've got over half of the people are over 80, three quarters are over 70, more than 90% are over 60. More than two thirds of them have three or more serious health conditions. So to say that uh, a bunch of people who were in their 80s and were sick with cancer and heart disease and emphysema, right? so very elderly people with very weak immune systems that were sick with three or more very serious illnesses, to just come out with this blank statement, uh, they died from COVID, that's just not accurate. Right, yeah. I mean, my take on this, although we do hear a lot of it in this particular instance with Gene Simmons, he's to me, just sounds like a frightened old man that's trying to sound tough, be that as it may. He is somebody that uh, people do listen to. We've had other instances, of course, of people saying things like, you know, the, the unvaccinated are selfish. We see quite a bit of that still, although it does seem to be dwindling. You know, there's been other remarks about uh, the unvaccinated. If the virus stopped, sorry, if the vaccination actually stopped the spread, again, you would still have to balance that with, uh, with respect for bodily autonomy. I'm not saying it's a slam dunk. But at least it would be an argument that would have some credibility, would have some intelligence behind it if the COVID vaccine stopped the spread of COVID. But we know from uh, heavily vaccinated places all over the world that it simply does not. So because COVID, because the vaccine does not stop the spread of COVID, uh, and the only benefit is uh, potentially is to the individual recipient, there's just no justification for all this coercion, uh, let alone all this this publicly expressed hatred that we're seeing. Mm -hmm. Yes, I agree. Speaking of publicly obsessed or public hatred, actually, we had a case of that in Canada that made the international news, this doctor in New Brunswick that uh, had died in his sleep. Do you want to just tell us about that, a little bit about that? So that's Dr. Sorab Lechmediol. I don't know if I'm pronouncing his name uh, correctly, died at the age of 52. He was a uh, cardiologist, and uh, he got his first uh, mRNA injection on January the 16th, according to his Facebook page, and uh, was quoted on Facebook, and I have, the, I have the post here. He said on July 10th that the non-vaxxed are selfish and that he won't cry at their funeral. Quote, for those who won't get the shot for selfish reasons, whatever, I won't cry at their funeral. Now, I don't know what he means by selfish reasons. I mean, he, he said, says in the same quote uh, from his July 10th uh, Facebook post, he says, the collective argument to protect those who cannot get the vaccine, who want protection, immune compromised, the very young, the homeless, and the disenfranchised. Okay, so he's, he's okay with those people not getting the vaccine. I guess they're, uh, they're not selfish. For those who won't get the shot for selfish reasons, I won't cry at their funeral. So he was of the view that, uh, you know, only if you're immune compromised, very young, homeless or disenfranchised, but anybody else wanted to say, hey, you know, for example, hey, I'm a healthy 20 year old male and I'm not threatened by COVID. Uh, the vaccine doesn't stop me from if I get the vaccine, it's not going to stop me from spreading the virus. So I don't want to take a risk on getting myocarditis or pericarditis as a healthy young male. That, according to, uh, to Dr. Lechmediol, is selfishness. 
Um, I think that's just a, it's, it's a healthy moral choice about your own body. Uh, you're not helping other people by getting this vaccine. Now, the vaccine can be very worthwhile if you're, if you're over 70, if you've got serious health conditions. Great. You know, get it if you want. But then, of course, I think it was after his booster shot that he passed away, two, three weeks after that, that he passed away in his sleep. And that's why the story hit the news. Well, it hit the news in Canada that he had passed away. But the CBC story that mentioned his passing did not mention the part about him getting the booster shot and didn't mention his, uh, I would say, nasty tweets about the unvaccinated. I guess, you know, that makes sense because you don't speak ill of the dead. However, that's not the reason the story went to international. There's been a few of these uh, cases and it's kind of like the mirror image of the uh, stories that you'd see on Yahoo about, you know, so-and-so passes away and on their deathbed, they say, I wish I would have been vaccinated. So this, I guess, is the schaden, schadenfreude from the other side, the irony or whatever it is. So, uh, you know, there's... Well, it, it, is, it is ironic. He publicly posted that he'd received his third injection on October the 24th, and he died on November the 8th. So two weeks or about 15 days later, he had some other nasty tweets. He said, um, he said, I think all of us would treat that unvaxxed patient with respect and to the best of our abilities, but the people who convince them not to get vaxxed, I want to punch those people in the face. Mm, okay. He also, uh, you know, talks about the strained healthcare system, which of course ignores the fact that we've had a strained healthcare system in Canada for decades and it's not caused by COVID. Um, and he also made, you know, kind of the common claim that uh, the vaccine has been tested on youth and looks undeniably safe. Well, as a scientist, how can you say that when something's been out and about for uh, only for a matter of months, not years? I think that's irresponsible to declare it safe. Moreover, uh, even if that's correct, why bother if you're uh, if you're young and healthy and because the vaccine doesn't stop the spread? Yeah, like I say, the, probably the best thing that can be said about all that is that he did speak the truth when he said he won't be crying at anybody's funeral. So that uh, is a, just one of those things, the way life treats us. And uh, so be careful, all sides going forward, when you indulge in this public uh, vilification of the other side. Indeed. Like, indeed. Yeah. Now, um, along sort of the same vein, we had a story coming out of Alberta that we didn't mention. It actually happened uh, about a month and a half ago, but uh, the video has been circulating for a while. And this was the leader of the opposition, former premier of Alberta, Rachel Notley, coming up with a plan to basically go door to door and talk to people and convince them uh, to be vaccinated. We're just going to play the clip right here. It's a, in a Calgary Herald clip on YouTube. I'll just, we're just going to use the audio on that. So, To get more Albertans vaccinated, our caucus is proposing basically three actions. First, the government should continue to closely examine the AHS data on who it is that isn't getting vaccinated and where they live. And this should be done alongside detailed polling, detailed focus group work, 
to understand exactly why the folks in that group of unvaccinated folks still haven't gotten their shots yet. Our second call is for a grant program for community groups who can partner with AHS and bring a trusted local voice into these conversations. Mary Chu and others have had incredibly great success with this model here in Northeast Calgary. Now, last year, the government spent $14.8 million on vaccine promotion and communications. But so far this year, they appear to have only spent about $5.5 million. What we're proposing is that that budget essentially be tripled to approximately $45 million. And this will help fund our third and perhaps most critical call. And that's for the government to use the research and the community partnerships to overcome barriers on a case-by-case -case basis and then literally commence going door-to-door, -door, having conversations and offering Alberta vaccines right there on people's doorsteps. There's something to be said for finding out what's on the mind of that last 28% uh, of eligible Albertans who are not getting a vaccine, because I absolutely believe that it's not uniform. And the, the iconic uh, uh, picture that we have of someone who hasn't gotten their vaccine being someone that you know is more likely to be in the media right now, I don't think is an accurate reflection of the majority of folks who have not yet gotten their vaccine. And so it's incumbent on us to be highly sophisticated in how we uh, figure out what's driving the decisions of that group of people, and then how best to meet them where they are, um, to, to talk them into to making that choice. The fact is, and I'm not going to sugarcoat it, this work will be difficult, it will be inefficient, and it will cost money. But the price of not doing this work, both in money as well as in human suffering, is far higher. There you have it. Go door to door, talk to people, stick them with a needle. <laughs> so, I don't think she was... Uh, Jab them. Yeah. Well, here's, here's the creepiest part. How would you be able to go door to door talking to the unvaccinated without creating a list? And she said very openly, one of the first things she says, we need to find out who is not vaccinated. Who they are. So it's not yeah. good enough to know that it's 28%. But we, we want names and where they live. She actually wants the government to know who is not vaccinated and where they live. I mean, That's the time woman... with Gene Simmons, isn't it? We have to know who these people are. Yeah, we've got to, Gene Simmons says we've got to identify those people and bring them out into the open so you know who they are. Mm. Now, Gene didn't uh, talk about going to door to door and finding out no, where no, they live, I just but it's, to tie it's a similar down. concept. It's like we need a we need a list of you know who who actually are the the members of this despicable, disgusting, vile minority. We need their names and addresses. Where in history have we seen that before? Just absolutely frightening. Yeah, luckily the uh, comments under the YouTube video were uh, very heartening. You know, they were not supportive of her idea at all. In fact, the top comment when I picked up this video was something like, well, I guess we should uh, call for psychiatric examinations of all MLAs after this. <laughs> you know, well, that, she's, that she doesn't call for psychiatric. It's, it's pretty clear, it's pretty clear that, that she thinks that the uh, – she has zero respect for – uh, a person's choice to control their own body and make their own decision about what gets injected into themselves is pretty clear from the whole clip that she thinks that uh, people 
that have not taken the experimental mRNA vaccine are stupid or selfish. It's the same assumptions as, you know, Prime Minister Trudeau two months back during the election, the same assumption of, of Gene Simmons, the same assumption of the late doctor Soreb Lajmedial that uh, the, the unvaccinated are selfish. So there's a clear, there's, there, there's a clear either a moral deficiency, you know, as, as if the only thing that, uh, you know, people are more interested in avoiding the uh, the minor, relatively minor pain and suffering, right? That's of of getting the vaccine because unless you've got myocarditis or dropping dead, and that's also happening. But for most of the people, there's no immediate negative effects uh, for for the vast majority of people, probably close to 100. percent You've got a, a sore arm for a day. Um, so she's kind of suggesting that people are not getting the vaccine because they don't want to put up with, you know, having a sore arm for, for for a day, or that if it's not selfishness, if it's not a, which is a moral deficiency, but the that the unvaccinated are, if not morally deficient, they're just plain stupid, and so well, they just need to get properly get, educated. Yeah. You got that? She used the word sophistication. We have to be very sophisticated about this in our approach when dealing with these rubes was kind of the thing that was left unsaid. Here's, and maybe I'm repeating myself, but but something that's another creepy aspect of this is once you've got that list of who are the members of this vile, disgusting, morally deficient, uh, intellectually deficient minority, who are these people? And once you've got their addresses, then you, or we're going to have people uh, showing up at the door with the vaccine to talk them into making that choice. Talk them into it. So again, like zero respect for full and informed consent. It's just not there. Rachel Notley has decided in her mind that everybody needs this injection. And so her personal enthusiasm needs to triumph over the bodily autonomy of every person. But here's the scary part. Once you've got the list of all these bad, terrible people and where they live, what is going to be this barrier that makes this distinction between merely knocking on the door saying, you know, hey, uh, we're here here from the government. We're here to help. We got our vaccine here. Uh, How about you get injected today? Come on, just take a minute. How do you stop that from being turned into that you show up at a house with some police officers and some tough, strong guys and you pin somebody down and forcibly inject them? That's for the last 10%. That's for the last 10%. I guess, I guess the ones that, yeah, if you haven't talked, uh, if you haven't talked them into it, well, but here's the thing. You cannot, uh, it, it would be difficult for the government to forcibly inject people with this experimental substance if the government does not know who they are and where they live. And so the creepy thing here is the creation of the list of who they are and where they live. I don't now, see that free- happening. You know, I don't see so, it happening anyway. I, you know, I know that these people are out there pushing the envelope. But you why, know, why cut- don't you see it happening? It's so easy with technology today. Oh, I, can, I, can, I can imagine it happening. But I mean, I'm going to inject a note of optimism here in that I think that the pushback is actually working. I think that what I am seeing, and I think others have suggested this, so I, I know it's not an original idea, is kind of the world dividing not into the vaxxed and the unvaxxed, but it's dividing into those who support tyranny and those who support agency, so that I'm hearing more support for the unvaxxed or 
against the idea of the vaccine mandates and vaccine passports from the vaccinated. You know, I think the uh, podcaster Dan Bongino is a good one. He's fully vaccinated, but he actually has uh, put his uh, reputation on the line and is having a big fight with somebody who used to carry his radio show, and now they don't carry it. He stood on principle there. Now, that's just one guy, but there's a lot of that now. And I will say this, all the good speeches now seem to be coming from the freedom fighters, you know, and I'm hearing a lot of good stuff. Uh, You know, these are the people that... uh, seem to be making, inspiring others. Whereas, you know, the people like Gene Simmons, you know, sounding like a cranky old man, are not really inspiring a whole lot of people. What say you, John Carpe, speechmaker? Well, speaking of good speeches, there's a fellow by the name of Tim Moon. He was, um, I think he was the leader of the Libertarian Party of Canada, according to Wikipedia from 2014 to 2021. So I guess I guess he's not leader anymore. And he spoke very eloquently at a rally in Okotoks on October 31st. And uh, he came up actually with, it was a fantastic analogy. I I won't do it justice because I'm just, I'm repeating something I I heard a week or two ago. But he he said, he said, it's all about voluntary consent. It's about non-coercion. That's the issue. He said, let's say that, uh, let's say that you could avoid covid by having sex with me, he said. And he said, you know, I'm not suggesting this would be a good pickup line if you're uh, if you're at a bar or something. But but let, let's just say for argument's sake, would it be okay to coerce people to have sex with Tim Moon uh, because he's got a cure for COVID? And, and the answer is no. It's about personal autonomy and bodily autonomy. And um, that's a real world joke, right? I have to insert this joke right now. It's not a joke. It's really happening. In Austria, a brothel is offering sex for COVID shots. That was in the news this week. Wow. That's why it's it's not really a punchline, but it uh, it kind of fit in with what you say. I just want to point out somebody else who's been making some good barn burner speeches, and uh, that's this – Corporal Daniel Bulford, the guy who set up Mounties for Freedom, and he's he made a really good speech uh, in Toronto recently. I'll provide a link to that as well. Just a good burn burner. And uh, I mentioned his name. Somebody had pointed out uh, his interview, I think, uh, with Keenan Bexty. And uh, this person later on phoned me up and read I think it was Bulford's uh, letter of resignation on the phone to me, right? And that that's when it occurred to me that, you know, all the good speeches are being given on the anti-vax side or the anti-mandate side now. And these are the people, uh, you know, that are starting to rally more and more. And it's becoming a noble cause. And it's one that uh, the vaccinated can participate in as well, you know. So I, I no, Tim, sorry, Tim Moon has vaccinated himself. That's how okay. I got onto this point. Because uh, he mentioned that partway through his speech, and he, he said, you know, he'd gotten two shots, and uh, he says it's, it's, it's all about choice. And so he's speaking at a rally against mandatory vaccinations. Uh, Danielle Smith, who's very well known in Alberta, and I think uh, also to, to an extent across Canada, former leader of the opposition in Alberta, and uh, successful talk radio show host uh, for, for quite a few years, and um, she has been, uh, she's gotten at least one, if not two shots. And she's pro-choice on uh, on vaccines and nobody should be coerced into this. And there's lots and lots of people. And I think 
Uh, I think it's really important that people that have had the shot, and I know, I know lots. Uh, I think Andrew Lawton with the uh, True North, I believe, I'm not 100% sure that, that he said in one of his uh, podcasts or talks that uh, he'd had one or both shots and, again, supports the bodily autonomy. And uh, this, this is vitally important, again, because the vaccine obviously does not stop the spread of covid which again would be a powerful argument for mandatory vaccinations if that were true, but it's not true. Mm-hmm. Another aspect to this, of course, is you have these uh, people that do speak out against it, and uh, of course, they end up getting turned on by the mainstream media, and that seems to sort of galvanize them even more. I we talked about Nicki Minaj being one of them. I think Matthew McConaughey is another one who, in an interview, uh, said that he was vaccinated but that he was hesitant to vaccinate his children until he had more information. That story just blew up as people started unloading on him for being vaccine hesitant for his children, you know. So, uh, you know, I think that type of behavior is causing a change in the society as well, this ganging up principle that doesn't seem to be uh, working. I don't know. I know I sort of hang out in a news ghetto where people, uh, I guess, support my point of view, which I guess is uh, fairly common. But do you think do you think it's large enough to constitute a, uh, a trend or am I being too hopeful here, John? That's what I would like to know. I'm not good at predicting the future. I don't I don't pretend to be. One prediction that I, I really, really hope to be wrong on is it would not surprise me at all if within a few months the different governments are going to require houses of worship to impose the vaccine passport in the same way that restaurants and movie theaters and various businesses and gyms and health facilities and uh, swimming pools and so on and so forth. All these different businesses are being coerced by government on pain of a heavy fine um, or, or being shut down entirely. All these businesses are being coerced to do the government's dirty, dirty work and you know, check check for the vaccination status of people attending there, and it, with the stroke of a pen, uh, governments can extend this to churches and say, "Okay, you know, hey, you have religious freedom. You just have to make sure that uh, all the people in your house of worship uh, have been injected with the experimental mRNA vaccine, and if you don't, we're going to shut you down." And that's the same type of uh, coercion that governments have applied against churches and other houses of worship in the past 20 months. Uh, you know, with, with various restrictions, you can't sing in church, uh, you've got to have capacity limits, you have to wear masks in church, etc., etc. And uh, all it would take is the, the stroke of the pen of one unelected, unaccountable chief medical officer, and boom, you're into churches being also asked to do the policing on behalf of the police state. So I hope I'm wrong on that point. There are signs of optimism. I mean, if there, I, I find the whole, um, I, I saw a two minute video by Pfizer, at least that's what it suggests. It had all these uh, children kind of ages uh, six to 10 that were singing and dancing and wearing Superman capes and talking about how they are superheroes because they got themselves injected. And that, you know, you too can be a superhero if you roll up your sleeve and get injected. I mean, it's so 
preposterous to think. Heroism and virtue, uh, you, you can be a hero just by rolling up your sleeve. That's not heroism. Heroism is overcoming adversity. Heroism is the life of our, our late staff lawyer, Brandon, who fought adversity throughout his life and who endured a lot of bullying in, uh, in, in his childhood and who rose above that and, and went to university and got a history degree and a law degree and was arguing for, for rights and freedoms in court. That's heroism. Uh, rolling up your sleeve to take part in a global experiment, uh, that's, that's a personal choice. Yes, there's nothing heroic about it. But here you got these kids dancing around and, and they're singing this song and it's all about superheroes. And then at the very end, it says Pfizer for, for two or three seconds. Now, maybe that thing was a hoax, but I, if I had to venture a guess, I'd say it wasn't a hoax because Pfizer is conducting trials on children who are not threatened by the virus. You know, why is it okay to be promoting a medicine to a group of people that don't need the medicine? This is pure ideology. This is not science. This whole notion that, that we've got to get a 100% vaccination rate when we know for a fact just from observing reality, we know that the vaccine does not stop the spread. Why do we need a hundred percent vaccination rate? Um, so it's yeah, that that actually could be detrimental. Uh, that the hundred percent because it could lead to uh, the attempt to go to a hundred percent because it could lead to uh, variants being developed that are uh, more dangerous than what we're fighting right now. That that fact was actually mentioned in a column. I simply am going to refer to here. And I uh, won't go any further, but I want to put a link to it below. And that was the James Kunstler column that came out this week. It, it made that point. But it's a barn burner of a column, so it kind of fits in that way as well. But we won't go too far into that right now. There was another sign of hope as well that should get mentioned. And this was the development in our province of the treatment, the use of the monoclonal antibody treatment here in Alberta. This was kind of a first in Canada and a sign of hope that the authorities are waking up to the fact that, you know, other approaches have to be tried in order to uh, defeat this uh, this disease. Sotrovimab is a monoclonal antibody treatment. Uh, this is from a CBC story posted on November the 10th. It is administered intravenously and was authorized for use by Health Canada in July, I gather July of 2021, designed to boost the body's immune response with antibodies created in a lab that target the virus. Okay, Sotrovimab. And it is interesting that uh, this is being rolled out in Alberta. So we're having a surprise, surprise. We're having a non-vaccine remedy for COVID. But of course, we've got, we've got the government spokesman, uh, there, there's a, a Dr. Craig Jenny, associate professor in the Department of Microbiology, Immunology, and Infectious Diseases at the University of Calgary. And he says, quote, the early results have been quite encouraging, but this doesn't prevent infection. This simply stops progression to severe disease. That's an interesting description because that describes the vaccine. The vaccine does not stop uh, infection. It does not stop you from getting covid the vaccine prevents, mm-hmm. uh, it makes you less sick than what you would have been otherwise. 
So I find that an interesting quote. I might get around to emailing him and saying, okay, so what's the difference between <laughs> between this and the vaccine? Because he says, well, the early results have been quite encouraging, but th- this doesn't prevent infection. This simply stops progression to severe disease. Well, so does ivermectin, according to many studies, uh, which the government refuses to debunk. What they do instead is they just declare that there is no evidence that ivermectin is effective in treating covid Mm-hmm. Let's move on. Yeah. We're not talking about that anymore, right? Vaccination, it's, it's, vaccination. It's very. I would. I would have more respect for government if they actually lifted a finger and made some effort to debunk all of the ivermectin studies and one by one and say, "Here's why this study is not valid." You know, they used a flawed methodology. Uh, they didn't have proper uh, checks and controls in place. They didn't uh, create an environment where this was the only factor, right? So mm. they didn't see to it that the uh, results were not influenced by by other factors or the two control groups were not similar or the study was funded by biased people that, that own stocks in uh, companies that produce ivermectin. I mean, any number, any number of ways that you can legitimately attack the credibility of a study. If the government actually attacked, criticized the studies that show that ivermectin is effective and ivermectin is being used successfully all over the world in many countries to treat COVID, if the government made some effort, at least some effort to, to debunk that and say, here's why it's junk science, well, then I could respect the government's position. But what they do instead, there's a blanket declaration. There is no evidence that ivermectin treats COVID successfully. There's no evidence. Okay, that's it. We're done. Right. Well, it's not I a way would, to uh, engender respect. Yeah. I would, uh, just knowing you, John, I would say that you probably wouldn't respect them more, but, uh, you know, you No, wouldn't. I would. I mean, this is, I would respect <laughs> the government. Okay. <laughs> I would respect the government, would have respected the government's more on lockdowns if they were not flying blind and blithely assuming that lockdown harms were far less than lockdown benefits. That's an assumption that they ran with for well over a year without making any effort to actually look at the data, without investigating, well, what's really happening with, uh, what are the consequences of, say, in Alberta alone, uh, 22,000 people had their medically necessary surgeries cancelled. Across Canada, over 200,000 people had their surgeries cancelled. 500,000 Canadians had diagnostic procedures, uh, MRI, CT scans that detect cancer early on and other diagnostics. 500,000 people had their diagnostics canceled. What effort is the government making to follow up on those 200,000 people whose surgeries were canceled or the 500,000 people whose diagnostics were canceled? They're not making the effort to look into it. They're not looking at the lockdown harms and uh, studying them uh, thoroughly and comprehensively, and then posting that data on the government websites. No, 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 no. None of that. All we get is just this blithe assumption that we should all swallow blindly that the uh, that the lockdown harms were tiny and minimal, and that the lockdown benefits were huge. Uh, that too, there's no evidence that lockdowns have saved lives. It's a claim that's made repeatedly by politicians and by the the media propaganda machine, the the government-funded media, the so-called mainstream media, propagate that idea. But when you ask for actual evidence, uh, I have yet to be presented with any evidence, actual evidence, not speculation, conjecture, but evidence 
that lockdowns have saved lives. Right. And uh, we see that Manitoba right now is going back into lockdown again, or not really lockdown, but they are increasing their measures again, basically uh, doing what they did before. Well, in Alberta, some- Alberta's back under lockdown. Even even the vaccinated people were told that at Thanksgiving, they could have uh, visitors only from one other household. Mm-hmm. Uh, vaccinated people. So this would mean if you had a, you know, grandma and grandpa in their in their 60s and 70s, and let's say they had, uh, you know, three kids, each of whom was married and had grandkids, it would have been illegal for the grandparents uh, to have had those three sons, daughters, and the three sons-in-law, da- daughters-in-law, and the grandkids, for them to come together at Thanksgiving would have been illegal. It was certainly the case in New Brunswick and Alberta, and it wouldn't surprise me if it was the same in other uh, provinces. So we're, we're back under lockdowns, and uh, the Netherlands also is starting to talk about lockdowns again. Yeah, because, Norway as well. You know, yep. Let's, uh, let's go back to what didn't work, because, you know, it didn't work again. They claimed uh, that they had basically put an end to all that stuff with the vaccine. And now both those countries uh, with high vaccination rates are looking at doing the lockdown thing again. So I think that that is more proof if we need it, that the vaccine is leaky and that... uh, It's not working. Well, if it's effective, why do we need to go back into lockdowns? And if it's effective, why are you terrified of being in the same room with an unvaccinated person? Don't you think you're protected? I mean, it's absolutely ridiculous, right? Oh, the vaccine's effective, 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 effective. We hear this over and over and over again. The vaccine is effective. Well, if it's effective, why are you terrified? You know, why are families being torn apart? Uh, Grandparents are told that they can't visit their grandkids. Parents of young children are not allowed to go into a uh, recreation center uh, or a sports facility to help their five-year-old change uh, out of his clothes and into his his hockey uniform, or their, their parents are not allowed to take their five year old daughter into a sports facility to help her change into her ballet outfit. That is not allowed. Well, if the vaccine is effective, why do we have all of this paranoia and all of this fear? It doesn't make any sense. Well, going back to our ray of hope here, which was the monoclonal <laughs> antibody story. You know, this does appear to be uh, the way they're rolling out to to be something along the lines of focused protection anyway, because they are giving it to elderly. So that, you know, we're kind of nudging our way towards something like the Great Barrington Declaration, which, you know, to me was very sensible. Uh, So I think that uh, we can hang on to that ray of hope, despite all the (laughs) negativity coming our way, probably for this Christmas. And I hope I'm wrong about that. I hope you're wrong about that too, but but seeing what happened last year, I mean, uh, the the ten premiers were all Grinches who stole Christmas. Although they were worse in a way, because in the story of the, the Grinch who stole Christmas, right? For for those that have not read the the Doctor Seuss tale, it's about this uh, nasty, bitter, cranky, crabby, generally evil character that's up in the mountaintops, and he goes in the night before Christmas and he steals every gift and every present, goes into every house. And so on Christmas morning, all of the villagers uh, wake up and if nobody has any Christmas presents. And then he's shocked because the villagers go outside and they sing. And uh, the, the premiers last year at Christmas time were worse than the Grinch because they made it illegal to sing. At least even the Grinch didn't stop people from singing. Uh, That's true. 
this year, though, based on the way uh, the uh, shipping crisis is going and the uh, thinning of the shelves in my grocery local grocery store, I'm a little worried that the Grinch won't have anything to steal because it just won't get here. We've got that to look forward to as well. That's kind of outside the topic, but it is pandemic-related somewhat because of uh, the labor shortage and the big shift in labor dynamics due to this long pandemic period. That's another topic for another day, though. I think, I think too, that the next time I hear somebody like Gene Simmons talking about 5 million people having died from COVID, which, as I explained earlier, is, is uh, it's misleading. It's not nuanced. Uh, COVID's had virtually no impact on population life expectancy uh, because all the people that they said, well, they died from COVID, uh, those were people who would have died in 2020 anyways. Uh, they would have died of their cancer and emphysema and heart disease. So all death is tragic. And there's no doubt that COVID shortened the lives of people. They People might have lived for another two, four, six, eight, ten months because the, in Canada, 80% of the deaths approximately were in nursing homes. And my understanding is that that was similar in uh, all over the world. It's the uh, people in their 80s and 70s with serious health conditions that are um, that are threatened by, by the virus. It does shorten their life. It does not have a significant impact on population life expectancy. And if that sounds callous, I would point out that population life expectancy has for a very long time been the measurement of lethality of diseases. Uh, scientists look at what impact does the disease have on population life expectancy, and some diseases have a huge impact. Uh, you look at all the suicides uh, in 2020 when um, you look at the demographics of suicide, and they're scattered. Uh, there's very few in, uh, in the under 10, although that tragically does even happen in, in the under 10. And then you have some in the teen years, 20s, 30s, 40s. The highest suicide rate uh, by age group is people in their 40s. That's higher. But it, it's kind of spread all over the place, right? So suicide, suicide deaths, uh, there's people from all ages and it's generally, you know, other than a, a higher rate for people in their 40s is generally spread about. But suicides have a significant impact on population life expectancy. Car accidents, uh, because they target people of all ages, uh, you can calculate years of life lost, which is not my invention. That's what scientists have used for years to measure the lethality of the seriousness of a disease. Uh, so cancer would be an example of something that because there are a lot of people in their 60s and 50s and 40s and even people in their 30s that get cancer, that's something that's a serious threat to public health. And uh, so COVID is just not in the same league with suicide and, and cancer and car accidents that actually have an across-the-board influence on population life expectancy. And if you think that sounds callous, well, take it up with the scientists who've been using the years of life lost measurement for many years. Considering what you said at the beginning about our fallen comrade, Brandon, and his passing, tragic passing from cancer, I couldn't call it callous at all, John. And I think uh, we're going to call an end now to this podcast, which we will dedicate to Brandon. The spirit of the fallen warrior for freedom will go with us forward. And thank you very much, John, for participating in episode 39 of Justice with John Carpe. Look forward to speaking to you next week. Talk to you next week, Kevin.